Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimant. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. So grab a coffee and join us for our latest podcast. And don't forget to like and follow us on our sponsor's website, brianclayman.com. And now let's talk about protecting your assets. Hello and welcome to Protecting Your Assets. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano Sajoni, with me, Brian the Angry Man Clayman. We're on to episode... 35, I think it's 35, might be 36, we'll check, but we're going to be talking about disclosure today, something that uh, is, is often played in the, in the court or in the, in the media, you talk about people disclosing documents all the time, but uh, we're going to talk about what it really means to security uh, practitioners or what it should mean and some of the things you should look out for to keep yourself out of trouble, but before we do that, as always, we're going to get Brian's bi-weekly rant on what's keeping him up at night. Okay, before I start, do you got your bourbon or whiskey ready? You know what? I got coffee today because I just finished my hour walk, and it's minus 16 out there. I'm freezing my arse off. <laughs> and there's nothing in the coffee? Okay, so really there's three things. Um, really, literally being kept up with what's happening in the Ukraine, the U.S.-Russian standoff. I'm old enough to remember the Cold War. I'm old enough to remember how scary that period was. When I went to school a million years ago, just like we have fire drills today in schools and they have active attacker drills, we had nuclear attack drills. And what you do, by the way, back in the 60s and 70s, well, more of the late 60s, if there was a nuclear attack, if the Russians launched an attack, we would hide under our desk yes. until the bomb exploded. So I'm having deja vu, especially this seems to be getting uh, deeper and more serious by the day. I read something, I think, in Bloomberg that the Soviet diplomats are indicating that talks may be a waste of time. That's never a good uh, sign. There were some leaders in the European Union saying that uh, NATO and Europe is closer at war now than they've ever been. And I just thought, quite honestly, that's no longer something that we have to worry about. I thought we've learned from two world wars, several big regional wars. I can't believe that... Uh, Issues may happen. So, but at least that might knock COVID off a little bit. And then the last thing out of the news cycle, and the last thing about COVID is just want to talk about uh, fraud and fraudsters. You know, you would think an astute security professional like myself would not become the victim of a fraud. And our RCMP friend, John Meacher, who was a guest and fraud expert uh, some time ago, uh, I hope he's not listening. But I became victim of a fraud in my attempt to find 3M masks or a mask, the surgical masks that are impossible. I found a vendor in actually in the Peel region and I sent him $100 and he sent me something made in China. It was, uh, I never heard of that, KN91 mask, yeah. which is a piece of crap. Anyways, I called him to complain. Surprise, surprise, no one answers the phone. I sent over the last three days emails, no response. So I got taken. So uh, to our hundreds of thousands of listeners out there, just be wary of where you get your PPE, do your due diligence, and learn from my mistake. Well, and there's plenty of them to learn from. So 
<laughs> well, I, I see myself as a teacher. <laughs> yeah, well, on my end, you know, I'm just going to dovetail into your discussion on the Ukraine because, uh, you know, I'm a political scientist uh, by training. I went to university for it, so I've always been amazed or interested in, in global politics and history. Um, and like you, I'm concerned. I don't think it's getting a lot of airtime or, or at least as much as it should. I don't think people realize how serious things are getting. Or maybe we're, we're overreacting, to be honest. I don't know. We don't know the details. But when you look at it from the outside, when you look at what's going on in, uh, you know, off the Chinese coast with the, the, the U.S. Navy, when you look at what's going on in the Middle East, when you look at the Ukraine, and I heard or I read this morning rumors at this point, I haven't seen it confirmed, but rumors that um, Russia was actually talking about uh, um, deploying missiles again in Cuba and Argentina. Yeah, I read um, that also. And if that doesn't you know, pucker your ass. I don't know what will, especially if you're an American. Um, so yeah, I don't know where that's going. And I think, you know, Putin, if you want to say to give him credit, uh, he's taking advantage of an America that doesn't know what it's doing right now. They're they're all over the place. They're they're fighting fires and not really putting anything out. In fact, they're probably causing more problems than 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 they're resolving at this point. And he's he's positioning himself to take advantage of that. You know, I, I'd like to say, if I had to live under the rule of someone, I'd rather live under American rule than Russian rule. I think, you know, it's better. But, you know, I, I, I've always wondered how the U.S. can have NATO assets right on the border with Russia or within 20-minute or 5-minute striking distance. And when Russia tried to put missiles into Cuba or now Argentina, that's a deal breaker. And again, I agree it should be a deal breaker. And I don't want Russian missiles there. But how is it it's okay for the Americans to be there yep. and the Russia and and I'm glad the Americans are. You know, make no mistake, I'm not a Putin fan. But yep. it's it's really a hard thing for them to sell to the Russians or at least the Putin clan, say, hold it, we feel threatened. And America says, but trust us, it's just gonna be defensive. And he says, Well, the Argentinian or Argentinian or the Cuban missiles are defensive. Well, we don't trust you. That's not uh, the basis of good, honest, transparent negotiations. That's a good segue into our topic today, which is <laughs> disclosure. <laughs> and, yes, sir. Uh, you know, looking at the underlying details and, and uh, specifics of, of what it is or, or the information you have that causes you to take certain actions. Um, and we're going to talk about it, obviously, with a security slant today. And we've got plenty of examples and experiences where disclosure has come up in our previous lives and not always in, uh, in a good way. And often we find ourselves fighting, I think, uh, especially, uh, you know, the lawyers who, are, who tended to be um, property real estate lawyers, not really understanding what disclosure meant for security operations until things went bad. And then all of a sudden you're in the court and it's too late to go back and figure out what you should have had in place and what you should have been documenting all along because they're going to ask for it. So let's start with that, Brian. What's your sense of what disclosure is? in terms of what we're talking about, security, and why it's important for uh, business practitioners to, to understand it and know it. Well, okay, at its surface, the definition of disclosure is disclosing information. But it has a different connotation from a security or a legal point of view. And a legal point of view is that in any sort of a litigation or criminal uh, 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 prosecution, uh, there's a possibility that, well, first on criminal, it's, there's automatic disclosure, which means the police have to provide everything they have on the accused. The accused doesn't have to provide anything to the police. But on a civil matter where we sort of live is disclosure is that when the courts order a company or a security organization to release documentation, video, media, whatever, uh, 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 everything in respect to 
the case at hand. To me, that's what disclosure is, and that's what I think we're talking about today. Yeah, and when you mean everything, you mean everything. When we talk about, you know, a quick example would be, and it's public disclosure, so it's not like I'm speaking out of school, but everybody knows the Cadillac, uh, the Eaton Center shooting that happened a few years ago, and Cadillac was sued because of that. You know, people probably shaking their heads as to why they would be involved, but they've got the deepest pockets. And because of that, they are included in that lawsuit, and part of that process is asking for disclosure. That disclosure includes everything from when those guards were trained, how they were trained, who did the training, why did you select that kind of training, and so on and so forth. So if you don't have those records on hand, if you don't have a reason as to why you went down that road, you're going to get yourself into some trouble. Well, you know, I just heard on the news yesterday, Toronto Police uh, have an officer that has been suspended or under investigation for the second time in a few years, and he was caught, he was at a murder scene, homicide scene and he uh, he made some uh, comments of a sexual and racial uh, 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 oh, from a viewpoint yeah. and it was picked up on his body camera and, and it was disclosed because you you ask yourself well as the police homicide guys were giving disclosure to the defense as they have to do by law they disclose this and you might ask yourself well why do they do that it was prejudicial to them it's going to draw attention away from the murder and put it on the officer type thing because you have to. I don't think people realized uh, that when you when you are compelled to disclose by the court or in a judicial process, it's everything to yeah. what color your socks are potentially. And you've got to be careful what you're putting in your filing cabinet, what you choose to record. I mean, you and I and uh, others in the commercial real estate sphere with body cameras, I've always been a, a, a post of body cameras for security guards because everything the guard does and says is going to be recorded. And although it's going to get you out of trouble sometimes, my fear has always been, is it's going to get you into trouble. And I'd rather not know it, therefore I don't have to disclose it, than you know, the situation we find ourselves in. And the Toronto Police example is an example of how careful you have to be with information, data, and media that you're recording, that you come in contact with. Yeah, if there's one thing I learned, unfortunately, through policing and, and, uh, and through the courts and all that, it's not about the crime. It, it really isn't. You could kill somebody and the lawyers could give a crap about whether or not you did it. They're going to try you on the process, the policies, the procedures. Did you dot your I's and did you cross your T's? And that's how people get off, as disgusting as it is. It's not about justice, it's about process. And that's why disclosure is so important. It documents everything you did. And if you can't prove that you're doing things on the right path or you're doing it correctly, then you're going to get yourself into trouble. So, you know, now that we know some of the pit, what disclosure is and some of the pitfalls of disclosure, you, you know, it behooves organizations to ask themselves, what information do we want to collect? And when we had Michelle Chibon, who was the privacy expert a little while ago, we just collect, companies collect all sorts of information without thinking what the ramifications are. So for example, I think security guards, when they get to a scene of an incident, either a medical incident, a theft or whatever, unless there's a clear documented process of what you collect, how you collect it, where you record it, okay, you open yourself up to all sorts of yeah. issues. Companies, 
not to pick on Cadillac Fairview again, because I think they're a great company, (laughs) but it was a news story. They got themselves in big trouble about those wayfinding signs in their malls that were looking at you type thing. That wasn't disclosed. So the issue wasn't that they were collecting the data, and it was not for nefarious reasons, but the people didn't know they were doing it. They didn't give consent. And when it was disclosed, it caused all sorts of problems. Yeah, there's one thing that that I've always uh, you know kept in mind with Michelle when uh, when she talked to us about um, privacy uh, and what 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 you should use as a guide when you're dealing with information. And to me, I always remember her saying, you know, use it for what you need it, and then get rid of it. You don't want to retain it. And I don't, I never understood, and I've always had fights with security managers in particular. You know, some come to mind. They were arguing for 180 days of retention on video, and I put back to them a police station has 30 days or less, right? And if you remember, Michelle said it should be seven days, even less for a police station. So who the hell are you as a private company looking at 180 to two years of retention? You have to own that. You have to protect that. You have to make sure that people don't access it. It's secured. It doesn't get out into the public. Why would you introduce all those risks and additional costs to your business when you don't have to? And yet they time, time again, they go down that road. I think it's because, you know, uh, I have a client right now that we're doing the work for, and that same discussion has come up, and they want a long retention period because in case something happens, they have the stuff on hand. Well, you know, what I said is typically things, you're going to know about things that have happened within the first 30 days, for starters. The second thing I said exactly what you said, you now have a library of stuff that's building every day that you've got to protect. And I know that only you will have access to it, so you say today. How do you know that your firewalls are going to hold and you're not going to have people hacking in and getting access to the information? The longer you keep something, the more exposed you are. And I think organizations have to think about just because you can harvest some information, do you want to harvest that information? Because again, I come back to disclosure, whatever you have is disclosable. And if, you know, I work for companies and I've had uh, uh, clients that say, well, we just won't disclose it. Well, (laughs) well, let's see how that uh, plays out, especially if you get caught. I mean, that's a contempt of court. uh, I think it cost somebody named Clinton an election. (laughs) (laughs) He just had a friendly relationship. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was just going to, you know, I just want to reinforce because I think a lot of people still today believe that we just won't disclose it. We're going to make it hard for them. And I got to tell you, if somehow the people that are asking for the disclosure beat the court or the people that are suing you, find out that it's coming out in drips or drabs, that's not going to turn out well. Yeah, it's going to be terrible for you. And the brand damage will be atrocious, especially if you're talking about something serious like a sexual assault or harassment of some sort where it was covered up or you look the other way. And that goes on all the freaking time in these companies. It goes on more than people would like to to acknowledge, but I'm just going to say, uh, forget about the sexual assault and all those big stuff, okay? It's negligent security, where someone is suing you because security didn't do the right thing. Yeah. Well, if you you got to be careful what you put in those reports, because you've got to realize anything you put to paper for your bosses, it, you're putting it out potentially for the public. Yeah, and, and, and just, it doesn't have to be just uh, incident-driven. The other part of it is, because, you know, we talked about this before the call. Uh, we used to go crazy. I know it drove you crazy. It certainly drove me crazy. But this incessant 
attitude by property managers in particular uh, to, to appease the tenant, that the tenant's always right, give them whatever they want because they're the tenant. Well, that's going to get you into some pretty freaking trouble, uh, big trouble. And tenants know that, especially legal firms. They understand that. That's why they ask for the information. And if you're stupid enough to give it to them, they're going to hold you accountable. So when you talk about stuff like emergency response plans in particular, or business continuity plans, and your plans specifically make promises, which some of them that I've read do, and one that comes to mind was a specific property that was promising in their response plan that they were going to uh, report back to their clients every five minutes what was going on during that particular uh, incident. And I said to them, how could you, first of all, how do you know what the hell's going on at any given time that they're going to be able to pick up a stupid phone or an email to send it to everybody to say, hey, we're dealing with shit. Yeah, they could probably look out their window and tell that we're dealing with shit. There's a fire on the on the upper floor that yeah. the security is going to be dealing with. And yet you're tying your security response to a five minute you know, response on your plan. If you don't abide by that and for whatever reason things go bad, they're going to come back and say, oh, you didn't call us in five minutes. You call us in four minutes and 52 seconds or five minutes, 56 seconds. And that's a problem because it caused us to delay. Right. And all of a sudden you're paying money. Or to add to that, not even promises. If you look at a contingency plan, emergency management plan says this is how we're going to manage the process. Yep. And if you don't manage it that way, that becomes plaintiff's exhibit number one. Yep. You know, you're right. We both have dealt with this. And I think all senior security leaders have dealt with this, especially on the commercial real estate side. Tenants ask for it. You can't piss the tenant off. Well, my approach was two things I would tell to my bosses. I said, first of all, these are uh, business. These are uh, a confidential business reports okay they're for the to protect the interest of the building owner they're not there for the tenant and because they're confidential business reports or business documents they shouldn't be released and i had a legal firm a very big legal firm was saying well we want to see a copy of the instant report and i said well we're not going to share it with you and they said but you have to and i said okay I would like to see your uh, confidential report about your dealings with this particular client. Oh, we can't do it. It's confidential. Well, this is exactly the same thing. Yeah. We do, if you talk about instant reports, because it's the best example, you do an instant report, not to report back to the to the uh, the victim, let's say. You know, the thing that used to kill me talking about that is someone's car gets broken into in the yeah. parking room. Perfect one demand that I want to see the report and I want to see the video. We did not invest a million dollars in there to help you see the video, someone break your window. It's to protect the interest of the owner. And it often is not in the interest of the owner to share that stuff with you. No, it isn't. And you don't know what they're going to do with that information. Then you become liable for what they do with that information. So to your, that's a perfect example because many times, you know, it's some big wig executive. So God forbid you tell them, no, we can't give you the video. He goes and looks at that video and says, oh, it looks like Brian walking by my car. And all of a sudden he meets Brian in the in the parking lot that night and beats the crap out of him. Well, where'd yeah. you get that information? Oh, the property manager gave it to me. Well, guess whose ass is going to be on the line? Because, yeah. you know, they, they will jump to those conclusions. And that's the danger of sharing information improperly and not disclosing it, you know, under the proper framework. And not only that, the guy that gets beaten up as a result of that, as Michelle Chiba told us, the privacy expert told us, we have an obligation that if we're collecting this information, we have to protect it. And it has to be released on a need-to-know basis only. And the customer or the tenant or the client hardly ever has a need-to-know. And what I did in my organization, before anything got released to a tenant or a customer or a third party, it would have to go through legal and get legal approval. Because often the business 
uh, leaders or the, the, the managers, they don't understand the consequences. If legal signs off on it, that's a whole different thing. But they're going to look at it with a different set of eyes than just appeasing the client. They're going to look at what's best for the organization. Yeah. And that's why disclosure is so important because don't record what you don't need. And if you do record it, realize you may have to release it and ask yourself if this got out in the public domain, because it's, when it's released in court, it is, uh, can, will I be embarrassed? Will this be hurtful to yeah. brand and reputation? And if the answer is like, why take a chance? Because I'll uh, be honest with you, even the best organizations screw up. And the example I was given earlier with Toronto Police, I think it's a very good organization. I think they've got incredible policies, procedures, uh, ethical policies. They try really hard, but notwithstanding, you still screw up. We're people, yeah. we make mistakes. So it's hard enough to get it right when you're focused on this and you have policies and procedures. Most organizations are not. And I had a boss uh, when I worked for an American company years ago, and he called this whole thing, do not give them plaintiff's Exhibit number one, do not make their case. And we were at a, uh, a retreat, a meeting, and security meeting. And we said, well, what do you mean? He said, the things you do, you document. Make sure you do the right things. Make sure you document it properly. And yeah. be very careful what you put to paper or you decide that you want to record on video. Yeah. And and so that segues into the, the last point uh, that I think is important to understand before we get into some best practices. But I think you, you were talking about it earlier as well. And that is uh, the classification of the information. Not all information is equal. Not all information has to be protected, you know, to level A or top secret or whatever it is you want to, whatever category you want to give them. But there are various classifications of of, of information that that you should be putting your 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 information into buckets, right? And and different buckets have different levels of protection. And you should also understand as a business owner that. It's not just about disclosure in the sense that you're going to go to court. It's disclosure, as we've been talking about, sending tenants information. You don't know where that's going to end up tomorrow. It could end up in court, even though you may think it's nothing. Okay, so really, the way I look at it is, uh, 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 to elaborate on what you said, you really have to understand what information an organization uh, collects. And everything an organization does, be it reports, financial documents, security reports, media, whatever, okay, is information that's protected, that's that needs to be protected, and that's information that could be disclosed. You could be compelled to disclose. And really what I believe and what I tell my clients is you've got to do an inventory and you've got to say what kind of information we collect. And once you understand all the uh, types of information you collect and you produce, you've got to categorize it in one of four ways. It's either highly confidential, it's either confidential, all information is at least proprietary, or it's public. And very briefly, what I mean by that is public is stuff that could be like marketing material, could be like stuff that you intend to share with outside the organization. Proprietary is anything you do as part of the business. It's not intended for the competition. It's not intended for others. An example would be there's a memo uh, you produce that you're not allowed to smoke or you, you're only allowed 15 minutes for a coffee break. It's not a serious memo. It's not going to break the bank, but it's proprietary. It was not intended for anyone else other than employees of the organization. Confidential and highly confidential. Well, really, the definition for that is that confidential is anything that, uh, if released, could cause grief to the organization. Highly confidential is it could be extremely detrimental to the organization. So I think what you have to do is you got to classify information, 
uh, identify the information, classify it. And once you've done it, then you've got to say, okay, what are the handling protocols for the different types of information? Yeah. And once you develop that, then you make sure that the every employee in the company and the collectors of information understand that. And the handling piece is important because if you know how you handle information, you're not going to disclose it inappropriately because you would realize that a security report is confidential, perhaps highly confidential, and as such, it cannot get released without legal approval yeah. to a third party. So it's really not difficult, but hardly no one does that. Yeah. And they, 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 they cross their fingers hoping that they won't get caught. And unfortunately, they mostly get caught Eventually. Eventually. Yeah. The, the, and, um, you know, the four classifications that you used, obviously, the definition is, is more important than the title. Yep. You, I mean, some people may use class A, B, C, or D, yeah. or they may yeah. call it secret, top secret, whatever it is, but you should have those four def, um, definitive buckets. Yep. And, and whatever you want to title them, you can title them. But it's important to, to distinguish between what kind of information you have in each and protect it appropriately. Um, and so let's move on to the final piece, which is basically talk about some of the best practices. And for me, it's, uh, you know, in, in today's society, you can't talk about information without talking about cybersecurity protocols, making sure that the data systems are appropriate, that they're, you know, properly protected against attacks or, or uh, unauthorized access. So I think is a big one is, is being, is having some kind of cyber protocol around the information. You want to have authorization controls, some, some type of framework. Um, and uh, what else is there? Well, I, I, really nothing. I, I think you essentially said it, but I think you have, a, you have to have a defined process. I mean, too many organizations say, look, it's common sense, this is confidential. Common sense doesn't cut it. You've got to clearly articulate the buckets, okay? You've got to clearly give examples. Then you've got to educate the employees, the staff, because having a procedure, protocol, or policy sitting on a bookshelf, if people don't understand it, is not cutting the, the mustard, okay? It's not accomplishing the goal. And then uh, 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 once you've done that, you've got to audit yourself to make sure you're operating in accordance with that. Unless you do the audit, unless you do the cataloging of information, you won't succeed. And I could think of, and I'll mention me because I'm mentioning it positively, years ago, 20 years ago, I worked for Fidelity Investments, one of the largest financial services companies in the world. And they had a program that was amazing. It was called the uh, SPY program, securing uh, private and public information. And what that program did was exactly what I talked about. It created the buckets. It started by classifying all the types of information collected, all the types of data produced by the organization, creating the buckets, putting the things in the buckets, then telling employees, uh, I'm sorry, putting things in the buckets, then labeling or classifying the information. So if you had a memo, a piece of paper, and it was highly confidential, you knew that was a document that you don't leave out in your desk overnight, and then audit it to make sure there was compliance and fix the problem before it became a problem. And they did it very well, and I'm sure they do it very well now. Unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of uh, 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 talking the talk, I've noticed yeah. in Canada, and certainly with my clients, but walking the talk is few and far between. Yeah, and I think there's there's probably a role for that. I remember when I was with uh, uh, CFSU as a federal unit, you know, a joint forces unit, which we did, it was an intelligence unit, so information was our was our hard Business, yeah. they, they had a guy... Uh, specifically tasked with going around uh, after hours during the day at lunch, doing spot checks on people's yeah. desks, seeing what's out there, checking the shredder, checking the garbage. And if he caught you, like if he found information at the printer, for example, that you printed off 30 minutes ago, but were too lazy to go get it, he'd call you on that. And, you know, some people suffered a couple hours pay for that. And, and you know, at the time you're like, 
you're sort of bitching about it because you're you're on the other end of it. You're you're required to 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 abide by those rules, and sometimes they're a pain in the ass. But at the end of the day, they're there to protect the business. They're there to protect the people, and they're there to protect our clients. Um, and so it was a tough job, but I think that that might be a solution for some of our business uh, associates who you know assign it to somebody who takes ownership for it and provides the guidance and training to everybody, so it's a little easier to abide by those expectations. Mm-hmm. We did a similar thing at Fidelity, and I think you probably stole it from us because I told you about it, and then you talk it, uh, did it there. But we did the same thing. You know, once we had the program, we had the audit process, and it was usually security and HR would do it, and they'd walk around at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the morning in the office space, and if computers were not locked, if laptops were not locked, if passwords were on your desk, you didn't get in trouble, you didn't get fired, but they had like a ticket, like a parking ticket. Yeah. They would leave it on your desk, and if it was the computer not secure, they'd actually take the computer away. Good. It kind of works, oh my God, what happened? And you'd see it, and you'd have to report to HR to get the computer. So that sort of is a best practice. It really worked because it didn't threaten employees people didn't get in trouble at least not the first two three or four times type thing and it really worked with the organization to get compliance and problems that we had before the program were uh, greatly reduced after a couple of years of doing this type of thing working collaboratively with our yeah it it makes it more of a game instead of uh, pointing your fingers you can make it sort of an informal game type thing and I know for us when we were with that unit, it was, it was a bit of a game, right? And if you got caught, you were embarrassed, and that was usually enough to yeah. fix the problem. To your point, okay. it happened once, it happened twice, three times. You got to start asking some questions, like "What yeah. is wrong with you?" type thing, right? But it works. It works, and it, and it, and it it sends the message without having to be penal, uh, penal. Uh, what is it? Penultive? Uh, uh, yeah, punitive or heavy-handed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's working collaboratively, and I think really all these things, policy is good, you know, protocols are good, but there's got to be delivery, there's got to be audit and compliance. And often what happens is most organizations have policies, you know, the last company I worked for, uh, we would run into situations and I would do something and they would tell me, well, that's not part of the policy. And I would find out there was a policy, but no one ever told me there was yeah. a policy. And uh, I said, where is this policy located? Well, on this drive. With Somewhere. The I don't have access to this policy. <laughs> so they did the first part right, but they filled in all the other parts and I ended up making a mistake that could be detrimental to the organization. So really the best practice is that if you do something, don't just start it, but do it to the end. And all the way, it. yep. The whole yep. nine yards. The whole nine <laughs> yards, as they say in Quebec. Exactly. So with that, I'm going to disclose that where time is up and I'm that's good. We've done two in a row, like on a half hour, bang on, which is nice. They're quick to the point. We hope our business uh, listeners are enjoying the, you know, the condensed format because we're sensitive to the fact that time is precious, and so we are trying to keep them a little shorter to that 30-minute mark. Um, but I think they're they're certainly more effective. We do a lot of a lot a lot more focused talking about the, the topic, and hopefully our listeners are getting the benefit of that. So until next time, I'm going to sign off. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to like us on on uh, YouTube or on uh, whatever podcast you're listening to us on. And uh, let us know if you if there's any topics of interest. We're happy to go out and find an expert. If we can't find one, we'll we'll talk about it ourselves and do our best. We'll but other make than it that, up. Or make it up as we go along. <laughs> Everybody else does. Why can't Why we? Why not? <laughs> so with that, I'm signing off. Talk to you next time, folks. Talk to you next time. Everyone be well. That concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, brianclayman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening and don't forget to protect your assets.